The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. Homes.com knows that when it comes to home shopping, it's never just about the house or condo. It's about the home. And what makes a home is more than just the house or property. It's the location and neighborhood. If you have kids, it's also schools, nearby parks, and transportation options. That's why Homes.com goes above and beyond to bring home shoppers the in-depth information they need to find the right home. And when I say in-depth, I'm talking deep. Each listing features comprehensive information about the neighborhood, complete with a video guide. They also have details about local schools with test scores, state rankings, and student-to-teacher ratio. They even have an agent directory with the sales history of each agent. So when it comes to finding a home, not just a house, this is everything you need to know, all in one place. Homes.com. We've done your homework. My mission is simple, to make you money. I'm here to level the playing field for all investors. There's always a bull market somewhere, and I promise to help you find it. Mad Money starts now. Hey, I'm Kramer. Welcome to Mad Money. Welcome to Kramer. Other people are my friends are just trying to make you some money. My job is not just to entertain, but it's also to educate and teach you. So call me at 1-800-743-CBC or tweet me at Jim Kramer. Who caused the slowdown? Was it the Fed in the kitchen with its boneheaded December rate hike? Or was it the president in the library with his trade war with China? I'd love to tell you that this question doesn't matter for the stock market, especially on a kind of clueless day where the Dow gained 38 points. That's to be advanced 0.30%. NASDAQ climbed 0.42%. We care about the future, not the past. The fact that the Federal Reserve is now set to lower interest rates because of the slowdown is huge, though. We get enough hints in the Fed's turgid statement today that the next move for rates is down. And when the direction is down, what do you do? Well, you want to own stocks. Why? Because lower rates translate into a stronger economy. All aboard. Borrowing becomes cheaper. More money flows into the system via credit. And commerce picks up. At the same time, short-term treasuries become less attractive as investments compared to dividend-yielding stocks, so earnings are boosted, forecasts are raised, and high-dividend-yielding stocks are more valuable. So welcome to the rate-cut cycle. Here we go. I've been through this so many times that I have my own playbook for it, one that's worked for the last 40 years. When the Fed starts to ease, which is the situation we now find ourselves in, history says you should buy, 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 buy. Stocks like the retailers, the housing place, technology, the financials. House of pleasure. I think we could get a rate hike, as so- a rate cut as soon as July. As soon as- We're going to get a rate cut. I thought there'd be a rate hike in July just four months ago when the president was still like really thinking things were, I mean, when the Fed chief was thinking things are so fabulous. Well, um, no, we're going to get a cut. And that's just plain bullish. Under normal circumstances, I say it's enough to prolong the rally until we learn what's next on trade. Unfortunately, this is not a normal time. That's why when Jay Powell droned on about how the Fed is above the political fray, well, I couldn't help but think that this man, this man who declared today he would serve out his full four-year term no matter what, in total defiance of the President of the United States, he is sitting on a huge powder keg. 
Let's review what happened, and then I'll tell you what comes next. First, at the beginning of his deliberately soporific press conference, a somnolent pal talked about how we have a strong consumer economy with a plentiful job market. Hey, doesn't that sound fantastically bullish? You wouldn't usually expect the Fed to cut rates when that situation is occurring. In fact, if anything, you expect them to tighten the rates. According to Powell, the downside risks aren't coming from the consumer, they're coming from the business community. He explained that there's been a slowdown in business investment with weaker manufacturing and faltering consumption. In theory, if these negative trends continue, then employment will soon take a hit and the weakness will start bleeding over to the consumer. That's what the Fed is closely monitoring. It's a phrase I told you you wanted to hear. Uh, today, because it means Powell is getting ready to give us the rate cut. All very natural. Why is business investment slowing? Okay, here we go. It's the rub of things. Powell did not directly come out and cite the president's tariffs on China. Not in so many words. But he did say that trade news has colored the Fed's thinking, which again means the Fed is cognizant that the prosecution of the trade war may require lower interest rates in order for the economy not to be derailed. Powell kindly and respectfully, I should add, didn't link the tariffs with the slowdown. He made no pronouncements about whether the trade war is good or bad for the economy. He was a total gentleman to President Trump. Yet I think he's sitting on a powder keg because the president, the president's no gentleman. The president wanted a rate cut. He probably wanted a huge rate cut. I think Trump probably doesn't want to admit that we need a rate cut because of the tariffs. That would undermine his whole shtick that tariffs are actually good for the economy. No. Trump will say that higher rates are what's hurting the economy. And Powell's a fool for not rolling back his horrendous, his miserable, his stupid, his chowder-headed December rate hike. That's why I expect the president to hammer Powell, demanding a rate cut right here, right now. Oh, it won't just be in Twitter. It'll be those things, you know, he's walking out with the coat, going to the helicopters, his moments earlier. It'll be all that stuff, right? And guys yelling, hey, how about uh, Powell? I don't like Powell. I think he wants Powell to give us a huge mea culpa. He'll tell us that the Fed is going to cause a recession unless Powell relents. Maybe Powell thought he could be apolitical. I mean, after all, the Fed's supposed to be apolitical. Uh, By not acknowledging point blank the slowdown is happening because businesses are worried that they'll get hit with more tariffs, it seems like he was trying to immunize himself from the wrath of the president. I think he's wrong. There is no escaping the wrath of this White House. I bet the president will start playing the blame game right now before he heads off to the G20 meeting. Classically, Powell's doing the right thing. He's weighing the evidence. He's being prudent. Nothing matter with that. We get weaker employment, he'll act. We get slower consumer spending, he'll act. But what he won't do is cut because we're about to get a 10% tariff on another $300 billion of Chinese goods. After Trump's meeting with President Xi fails next week, and I think it will. What does President Trump really want besides summoning Powell to the boardroom? I mean, I'm sorry, the Oval Office and telling him that he's fired? By the way, that's something he, he doesn't actually uh, have the authority to do. Could get in the way of that. Aside from humiliating Powell, what Trump really wants is simple. He wants all of his employees to toe the line. And he's under the mistaken impression that Powell's an employee who works for the president, kind of like the attorney general works for him, to use a very awkward example. I mean, ideally, the attorney general is supposed to work for uh, you, the United States, right? But in practice, the president can hire him and fire him. He can't do that with a Fed chairman. It's an independent position. That's rankling the president. He doesn't seem to understand why. Trump wants Powell to say the following. We're cutting rates because we're going to be in a trade war with everyone, so we need to keep the dollar weak, just like Draghi. And that's something lower rates would accomplish. He wants Powell to say he understands the president's trying to make America great again. So he's, or keep America great, right? We need a little change up there. So he wants to be a team player and be as accommodative as he needs to be. Defeat the Chinese. 
Trump has the same attitude toward Powell that he has toward everyone else. He wants the guy to do his bidding. Powell didn't do that today. Too independent. That's why I expect the president will keep hectoring him and hectoring him and hectoring him uh, because Trump needs, desperately needs to raise tariffs all over the place and needs desperately to have lower rates in order not for the economy to fail before the election. Does it matter? Look, we just heard the mild-mannered pal give you an avuncular analysis of why the Fed did nothing. I bet Trump will hit back and hit back hard because as he sees it, pal's not a team player. That could lead to some disturbing headlines, horrible tweets, and cause some turbulence. I don't think it actually changes anyone's behavior. Powell will follow through with his plans. Trump will keep escalating the trade war. But here's the bottom line. This dynamic shows you why we can't be as bullish as we might like, even though today was such good news. We can't be because we didn't explode upward in the wake of this bullish statement and press conference because of the rancor between these two men. Normally, I'd be telling you to buy stocks left and right with the Fed about to cut interest rates, and I still think it makes sense to be bullish. However, with the president on the warpath, you need to be more cautious because even if the trade war is justified, the longer it goes on, as the fabulous Union Pacific CEO told us on this very show last night, and he's apolitical, the longer this goes on, the worse it is for our economy. Brandon in Texas. Brandon. Hey, Jim. I'm a big fan of you. Thank you. I was wondering about the stock, uh, Lockheed Martin Corporation. I, I like wondering. Lockheed Martin. Good stock doing it this, play, it's, this stage. Uh, I do think that uh, if the Democrats win next year, you're going to resent that you bought it right here. But the company's just spewing cash. It's doing a lot of things right. I think it's a good stock. Matt in New York. Matt. Hey, Mr. Kramer. It's Matt in Lindbergh, New York. How are you? I recently bought. Good. Thank you. I recently bought uh, shares of Party City right as it hit its 52-week low. Guidance said that they secured a new helium supply for the next two and three years, and institutional investors have been buying more stock. But yet, the past couple of days, it's been getting hit hard. Do I buy, sell, hold, or curl up in a ball and cry? Was it Party City? Jeez. Uh, curl up in a ball and cry? I mean, that's been a terrible stock. You, you made some money in it. You know what you got to do? This is not the kind of retailer I want to bank with. Uh, I got a lot of retailers. I mean, look, my travel trust is sitting on this Kohl's, and I, I thought they were doing well. It is another 52-week low, and, and that's a well-run company, a good dividend. I say uh, extended party sitting there. How about Rick in Illinois? It's Rick. Hey, Mr. Kramer, it's Windy City Rick. Thanks for taking my call. I thought it was Windy City Rick. Didn't you think that, Regina? Okay, here we go. Good to hear your voice. Thank I'd you. Like to hear, I'd like to ask specifically about a dividend of a stock. I've been a longtime holder of a tobacco company, and I've seen a lot of growth in that stock in the time. I mainly own this stock because of the strong dividend. I'm not even a smoker, but I dig a dividend above 6%. So um, recently, Altria has made a heavy mm. investment in the cannabis industry of Kronos. They've right. also taken a 35% stake in Juul e-cigarettes. Right. And I also know that Altria is in a sector, the tobacco sector, that you may not recommend for that reason. But considering that, I want to know your opinion if you consider the dividend of Altria to be safe or in jeopardy. I think it's a very well-run company. Yes, I do not recommend tobacco companies. I'm not a smoker, a joker, or a midnight toker. However, Howard Willard is very good, and that yield is, that dividend, I believe, is safe. There's a lot of cash there. Again, I, I don't want to tell people, if I tell people to go buy the stock, I should tell people, I think, to go buy spit cigarettes. I don't want that. But that dividend, if you're asking about that, that's, it's fine. All right, buckle up, Kramerica. The race-cutting cycle is soon to begin. But remember the antipathy between these two men. Well, between one man and the other guy, 
Somnolent. All right, that's you can Google it. It's got an N O L E N T. All right, CrowdStrike IPO'd a week ago and immediately posted, you get doubled. Should you strike while the iron's hot? But could enthusiasm for the newly minted company peter out given the fact that it's one of the most expensive stocks in the entire market? Then, from the casual users of the industry professional, Adobe has been igniting the flame of imagination for decades and has become one of the world's most innovative and largest companies. I'll tell you how it's upending every single shopping paradigm we ever thought imaginable, except for Wix. And it's also the latest unicorn to make the market debut. Should you cut slack some slack? Could you resist that one on its first day of trading? Direct listing will explain. Stay with Kramer. Don't miss a second of Mad Money. Follow at Jim Kramer on Twitter. Have a question? Tweet Kramer. Hashtag Mad Tweets. Send Jim an email to madmoney at CNBC.com or give us a call at 1-800-743-CNBC. Miss something? Head to madmoney.cnbc.com. When you're hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search. Match. With Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging to connect with candidates faster. Plus, 93% of employers agree Indeed delivers the highest quality matches compared to other job sites, according to a recent Indeed survey. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visible visibility at indeed.com slash mad money. Just go to indeed.com slash mad money right now and support this show by saying you heard about indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash mad money. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need indeed. Over the past few weeks we've had yet another rush of IPOs, including some deals that were very well received. Ah. Deals like CrowdStrike, that's a cloud-based cybersecurity company. And when I say well-received, I am putting it real lightly. The CrowdStrike deal was supposed to come at $19 to $23. Instead, it priced at $34, which is insane. Then immediately started trading at $63.50, which beggars believe. Buy, 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 buy. Not only that, but CrowdStrike, uh, which is ticker symbol CRWD, it's now $77 and change after hitting $79 earlier today. All right, what the heck are we supposed to do with this kind of smoke show IPO? I mean, on the one hand, CrowdStrike has so much in common with some other companies I like so much. Oh, the Red Hot Beyond Meat, although, you know, I think it's gotten a little out of control. And Zoom Video, which is really expensive. All three companies had triple-digit revenue growth. That's so hard to find last year. And, and their stocks have continued to scream higher since the initial spike because people, the, the mutual fund managers who love high growth, they're really drawn to triple-digit growth, triple digit growth because you don't get that very often. And look, I, I, look I, I was too skeptical, say, beyond me. See, I saw the stock scream higher, and I couldn't justify the valuation, so I didn't come to you and pound the table. But when we see this kind of move, it has nothing to do with valuation. So I've got to be a little more open-minded when it comes to CrowdStrike, even though I recoil at the thought of recommending something that's going from 34 to 77, actually 79 inch a day, in, in a week. I mean, the stock doubled. You know, it's very hard. But remember, Beyond Meat ended up being up 60, 600% at one point. So, I mean, out of control. 
With that in mind, what's all the fuss about here? Before we dive into the financials, let's play a little Know Your IPO game, please, because you need some background. CrowdStrike bills itself as a new kind of cybersecurity firm. It's a play on the cybersecurity cloud. Okay, so in other words, it's not just what's known as on-premise. It actually protects the cloud. The whole point of their platform is to protect your systems across on-premise machines, virtualized machines, and cloud-based environments, all potentially in different places. The company handles endpoint security, threat intelligence, and incident response services, meaning digital forensics. Well, it's got everything from, it's got like a combination of FireEye meets Palo Alto meets Proofpoint. Maybe there's even a little cyber arc in there. But the really interesting thing for me is what puts the crowd in CrowdStrike. These guys use AI, artificial intelligence, to predict vulnerabilities and potential threats. They have a vast treasure trove of security data. And the bigger that that treasure trove gets, the more effective their AI algorithms become. CrowdStrike's system has two main aspects. First, there's what they call the lightweight in Agent, this is a little piece of software you install on your devices, which then deploys their whole security platform from the cloud. Because it's a cloud-based system, it doesn't need to use tons of processing power on your PC or your phone. Instead, they offload the really intensive computations to the cloud. In this respect, you know what? It's a lot like Kramer Fave Zscaler. I'd like to put these two head-to-head, frankly. Uh, that's another cloud-based cybersecurity play that we had on last week, and I thought Zscaler was, was the boss. It was the bomb. And then this one comes around, and I start thinking, geez, maybe this is better than Zscaler. You need a head-to-head. What differentiates CrowdStrike is the second part of the story. It's what they call the threat graph. This is the part of the system that's on the cloud where they process, correlate, and analyze data from countless different devices and virtual machines. Now, this that's where CrowdStrike's artificial intelligence algorithms come in handy. If you use on-premise security software, it's inherently limited, right? It only has so much data. It's in your PC. It can only use so much computing power. If you use the cloud, though, it's like being able to call in reinforcements. CrowdStrike's trying to take advantage of the fact that to get as much out of the cloud as possible to the point of using their AI to detect not just existing threats, but the future ones. And they have had a ton of success here. CrowdStrike recently unveiled a partnership with another company that I like very much, but the stock hasn't done very well, Dell, where customers can seamlessly buy CrowdStrike's platform whenever they purchase Dell's enterprise hardware. I want that. But, of course, I'm not the enterprise. Apparently, the customers do love it, though, because the company's got terrific dollar-based retention rate. This is a hugely important key metric. You know, I always try to give you the key metric that you look at to move a stock. Key metric for cloud-based software stocks tells you how much new business they're getting from existing customers. And for CrowdStrike, that number was 147% last year, which means they're winning tons of additional orders from the user base. Their customers include 44 of the Fortune 100 and 9 of the top 20 major banks. And the company made a name for itself, nailing states sponsored hackers. Do you remember when uh, North Korea went after Sony Pictures for that dumb Seth Rogen movie about Kim Jong-un a few years ago? These guys, this CrowdStrike, they figured it out. It took them less than 48 hours. What a marquee piece of business that was. Great story. But what about the numbers? Okay, last year the company t- total sales grew by 110% year over year. Their subscription revenue increased by 137%. And while CrowdStrike is still losing money, hey, don't fret here. That's because they're investing in the business, something that makes a ton of sense to me when you've got this kind of growth opportunity. You don't stop the growth in order to be able to show a profit. That's lunacy in this business. That said, the margins have substantially improved, even if they're still burning money. The balance sheet is pristine. Drilling down, last year the subscription customers more than doubled to 2,516. Their annual recurring revenue increased by 120% to 120% to $312 million. 
How about more recent numbers? CrowdStrike's guidance for the second quarter, for the quarter that ended in April has their sales growing at about 100% clip. Subscription revenue 110 to 115%. Uh, subscription customers up 104%. Annual recurring revenue rising by 108 to 111%. No wonder when you saw that, that full page ad in the paper and you said, yeah, I don't blame those guys for bragging. The dollar-based retention rate, how much business they're winning or losing from existing clients, should keep expanding by 137 to 141%. People, these numbers are amazing. That means even if they didn't land a single new client, CrowdStrike would still have about a 40% growth rate, which most companies would kill for. And the vast majority of the companies, even the high-growth ones I talk about, are nowhere near that. These are spectacular. Now, granted, the growth has decelerated a wee bit little, uh, versus last year, not by very much. And given the law of large numbers, that's impressive. Not quite as impressive as Beyond Meat, but then again, what is? So it is no wonder that this stock exploded higher right out of the gate. While the underwriters tried to underprice the deal, something I heartily approve of, boy, did they ever learn from, uh, from Lyft, by the way, there was so much demand that they had to raise the price range dramatically, that midpoint rising from $21 to $29, then the IPO ultimately coming at $34 last week. Even though that was clearly a low-ball number, because the stock immediately spiked up 86% at the opening, going to $63.50, it hasn't looked back since. In fact, CrowdStrike tackled on another 10% gain, boom, yesterday. It's up nicely today. I've got to tell you, this may be... If we weren't so rich, I would tell you this is the best of the lot. But, and there's a very big but, at these prices, CrowdStrike is super expensive. Now, we're talking nosebleed expensive. The company currently has a $17.5 billion fully diluted market capitalization, which is a lot for a business that only generated $250 million in sales last year. Because CrowdStrike's not yet profitable. We need to value it on a price-to-sales basis. And using last year's numbers, it's selling at 70 times sales. 70! Put that in perspective. Even turbocharged cybersecurity stocks, where everybody wants to work, like Okta and Zscaler, traded less than 40 times last year's numbers. Only Zoom Video, another Red High IPO, is more expensive at 84 times sales. i got to give you this stuff, people, because you got to know what you're dealing with. Trailing numbers aren't that useful. What about this year's estimates? Uh, or next year's. All right, we don't have a great read on how CrowdStrike will do going forward. But assuming it keeps delivering 100% growth this year and can hit 75% growth next year, that means the stock is selling for 35 times this year's sales and 20 times next year's sales. Still extremely pricey, more expensive than anything else I've mentioned except for Zoom. And if you use more conservative forecasts, you get even more ridiculous valuations. You might say it deserves a Zoom-like valuation. After all, they have a similar growth rate. But Zoom is actually turning a profit. And honestly, if you're using Zoom or Beyond Meat as your comparison for new deals, you're going to get yourself into trouble. It's Zscaler and Okta that are far more like this. They're far better comparisons. And they sell at about 25 times this year's sales forecast. If CrowdStrike got that kind of multiple, it would be a $55 stock, down 22 bucks from where it's currently trading. That's the kind of comparison thing I need you to understand. Okay, it's much more expensive than Zscaler. You heard Zscaler last week. They're good. You've heard Okta multiple times. Hey, man, I think that Okta's the, I think Okta's terrific. Bottom line, look, I'm not saying CrowdStrike can't go higher. It's a fantastic company. These fast-growing IPOs have gotten pretty frothy, though. I'm just saying that I can't justify recommending it at these elevated levels versus buying Okta or Zscaler. I just can't stomach the thought of what might happen to the stock if something, anything, and it won't happen now. It won't happen now goes wrong. We got to go to Stephen in Georgia. Stephen! Uh, Kramer, Bulldog Booyah! I like that. Go Bulldogs! Hey, since Fang has uncertainty right now and Microsoft hit the trillion dollar level last month, is that where young investors should focus their attention? 
Um, I've been doing a lot of work on Microsoft lately. It's part of a group of stocks I call the Creepers. It just creeps higher and higher and higher, and today's no different. Um, it's a trillion-dollar market cap, and it deserves it. Why? Because is there anyone more consistent when it comes to growth than Satya Nadella? He is just unbelievable. I mean, like, I would put a black T-shirt on and just wait at the door of Microsoft, and just in case he would say, oh, a fellow black T-shirt guy, come on in. And I would. And you know what? i clean his desk, maybe polish his phone and stuff, just so I can ask him a couple of questions. Jerry in Texas. Jerry. Hey, Jim. How are you today? Not bad, Jerry. How about you? Good. Doing well. Hey, I'm calling about one of your favorites. You previously had the CEO on your show. And after their May 30th earnings report projecting a weak second quarter and a weaker outlook for 2019, they dropped 35% the next day. I'm down 30%. Should I buy, sell, or hold Zorro? I was very disappointed in that conference call. I was particularly disappointed that they talked about how it was a reset year. They needed that because the sales force needed to be refreshed. That was the first I learned of that. Uh, I admire the management. I think since we are in a subscription economy, I did not like being blindsided. Uh, and uh, I was blindsided. And that's, uh, that's why this stock is not going to go anywhere, at least for another couple quarters. I repeat, even though I think at the beginning of the show, remember what I say, it's not about friends, it's about making money. And I was blindsided. All right, CrowdStrike is one heck of a smoke show IPO. It's a fantastic story. But I just can't justify these levels. Now that I can buy a company like an Okta or a Zscaler, they're cheaper. Stick with Kramer. Coming up, don't call it an IPO. This company is changing the conversation. Slack is creating a new world. And now they're headed for the public markets. Will Kramer cut them some slack? Find out when Mad Money returns. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. You can earn four times points on your top two eligible spending categories every month, like transit, U.S. restaurants, and gas stations. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Four times points on up to $150,000 in purchases per year. Terms apply. Learn more at AmericanExpress.com slash Business Gold Card. This episode is brought to you by AARP. Ten years from today, Lisa Schneider will trade in her office job to become the leader of a pack of dogs. As the owner of her own dog rescue, that is. A second act made possible by the reskilling courses Lisa's taking now with AARP to help make sure her income lives as long as she does. And she can finally run with the big dogs. And the small dogs, who just think they're big dogs. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Learn more at aarp.org skills. When I ripped through the incredibly bullish presentation from Adobe last night after a truly blowout quarter, I found myself shaking my head about the prospects for the brick-and-mortar retailers in this country who really can't avail themselves of Adobe for their, their retail stores at all. You just can't compete against digital merchants if those merchants are armed with Adobe. I don't know how you do it. As CEO Shantanu Narayan explains, we are in the golden age of creativity, which is stoked from grade school with Adobe Spark, which is the lowest end, and it's upending everything as these kids grow up and master e-commerce. No wonder Adobe stock rocketed 14, uh, $14 or 5%. 
It's a $140 billion company in wake of that colossal quarter. Think about a typical enclosed mall for a moment. There are anchors like a Macy's or a Nordstrom or other department stores that are now too small to mention on air, but have tens of thousands of people working for them. Then you've got a bunch of gaps, uh, Abercrombie's, maybe some one-off clothing, a jewelry company, a Toomey, Williams-Sonoma, Chico's, some L-Brands operations, as well as the Oodle, Flotsam, and Jetsam. When I go through the Adobe conference call, reading through it on Adobe Reader, of course, I see I can use their software to recreate all the best parts of the mall by finding what the customer really wants and then presenting to them online the best way to shop because you don't have to go anywhere or speak to another human being or try something on in a dressing room. You can try it on at home, order two of them, send the one, send the one you don't like back. Designers can make more creative merchandise than what's in the mall. Then target the people who want those products much better than a mall can. Again, using Adobe, figure out how to scale up the business rapidly using Adobe. Cheaper, faster, better, and of course, more creative with far less inventory risk. Expensive salespeople hobbling rents. In this new world, I really do pity the brick-and-mortar retailers. I don't know what I'd do if I were stuck running a department store. We have all these big brands that are basically indistinguishable from everything else. It's not like this is a new story. Some of the department stores are indeed on their last legs, and even the better ones are struggling. Macy's is trying hard and has a terrific showroom in its main store in Manhattan, but hasn't been able to demonstrate that its model can scale to dividend. I have no idea what the heck Nordstrom's doing, except that it's spending a lot of money. Gap? When I think about the gap in this environment, I, I imagine stuff that's been made overseas that ends up in a landfill. L Brands, with the exception of Bath & Body Works, everything L Brands makes is easily replaced by something online that's cheaper, more creative, and more anonymous, and definitely cooler. Its very existence is under attack by designers using Adobe or Wix or Shopify to pick off customers. As for Abercrombie, have you looked at the cool clothing sites for teenagers these days? I bet half of them are designed and monitored using Adobe. The others, you know what, only William Sonoma, which was initially a member of Catalog Store, seems to have done a good job of making the leap to the web. Well, we recently spoke to Laura Albert, the CEO, and she explained to us that she has the edge on the other housewares retailers because she isn't really one of them. Not with her powerful omni-channel business. It, it, they're more offline than on. I mean, online than off. And that's really smart. So go read the Adobe call. Think about what's being unleashed here. Recognize that when Shantanu speaks of the golden age of creativity, he means a golden age where everyone has their own electronic pushcart that looks every bit as fancy as something from Tiffany or Neiman, but is cheaper and in many ways than, uh, better than what Target or even Walmart can sell. It's insane what's happening. But it is happening, people. And even after a spectacular 5% run today, I think the stock of Adobe is still, still the way to play it. Let's go to Mark in New Jersey, please. Mark. Booyah, Jimmy. My Booyah, question Mark. is about Square. With yeah. Square Cash App was currently outpacing Venmo, along with the recent run-up in the stock price from the low 60s, as well as being up about 30% for the year. Do you think all the good news is baked in, or do you still no, think No, I don't. I mean, we've got to be careful about it. There's an analyst that keeps saying that they're pacing. I mean, look, they're doing a little faster growth in some parts of Venmo than others, but i got to tell you, they both can coexist. Many people, including me, got freaked out at PayPal, like at $100, when we kept seeing those reports that Square's going faster. They both can live, and they both are buys. All right. Adobe is upending the entire retail world, people. you got to read that conference call. Because as Shantanu says, it's the golden age of creativity. Much more made money at. When I spoke to Slack way back in 2015, it was a private company, 1.25 million active users. Today, that number sits at 10 million. On the eve of its first day of direct, direct IPO listing, I'm telling you if the company's growth can continue. Then, with more businesses folks on their, on their online footprints, can a company like Wix help you score some clicks? I'll surf with the CEO. And all your calls rapid fire in tonight's edition of 
the lightning round. So stick with Kramer. As the IPO market finally starts to peter out, we have one last big deal to talk about, but don't call it an IPO. See, tomorrow, Slack Technologies is coming public. It's coming up via what's known as a direct listing, which is where the company lists a block of pre-existing shares on an exchange. Now, you might remember that's what Spotify did the same thing last year. An IPO is normally about helping a company raise money, right? But with Slack's direct listing, they're simply trying to create a liquid market where their employees and early investors can ring the register on their shares, make some money, take it off the table. The thing is, even though a direct listing is a pretty boring way to come public, there's a ton of excitement for Slack. You probably know their product. Maybe you even use it at work. Slack is a collaboration software company that has taken the world by storm. They're revolutionizing the enterprise communication space, even displacing email at many companies. Now, just like we saw with CrowdStrike earlier, Slack is right in the sweet spot of what's working here. It's a fresh-faced, cloud-based enterprise software play with a subscription business model and a turbocharged growth rate. This is exactly the kind of stock that investors, they just can't. (laughs) <laughs> they can't resist it. They can't get enough of it. So I expect this one to run tomorrow. And that's why we're trying to get ahead of this deal, by giving you a sense of what Slack does and how it's doing and why it might be worth owning. Let's start with what Slack is, for those of you who actually don't use it at work. Originally, this platform was conceived as a way to replace email at the workplace, because email is kind of a pain in the neck. I mean, it's not necessary, uh, not necessarily the best way to work. So Slack replaces individual email inboxes with team-based chat channels, where you can also post relevant data, documents, and applications. Over time, it turns into kind of a repository of organizational knowledge and wisdom. Think of it as a communications tool that gets everybody on the same page. And that's what Slack does, but how does it make money with that? Okay, Slack works on what's known as a freemium model, like many other software companies, including Wix, which we'll hear from later in the show. There's a free version of the program, which limits the number of messages they'll host and the number of applications you can integrate. Then there's a paid subscription version with no limits and a higher price subscription that has additional services like compliance, reporting, and guaranteed uptime. The idea is that free users just love it. And then they convince their bosses to adopt the paid version via word of mouth. Hey, we saw something very similar to us in, with Dropbox. And this thing has been grown uh, leaps and bounds. At the end of January, Slack had more than 10 million daily active users. Platform was being used by more than 600,000 organizations with three or more users. That is, that's incredible growth. Only 95,000 of them are paid customers, but that includes nearly two-thirds of the Fortune 100. Boy, when we first had them on, it was nothing like that. Uh, some of the largest enterprises have tens of thousands of employees using Slack on a daily basis. How about the numbers? The numbers are the reason why I'm betting Slack will generate so much excitement. Last year, the company had 82% revenue growth. These companies, 80, 90, 100, 120%. What an unbelievable group of growers we have in this market. Now, admittedly, it slowed to 67% in the latest quarter. But it's still pretty darn good. While Slack is still losing money, that's all right. Its margins keep improving. And this is another situation where it would be financially, financial malpractice for this company to be showing a profit. They've got too many opportunities that are too good to pass up. You have to understand that showing a loss at this point in your growth is okay. What about the company-specific metrics? Slack's paid customers increased 49% last year and nearly 42% in the most recent quarter. It's paid customers that are worth more than $100,000 a year in revenue grew by 93%. It, it net a dollar retention rate, I mean, how much business they're getting from old clients, came in 138%. I mean, wow. These are flabbergasting. In short, Slack's overall growth is fantastic. All right, maybe it's not triple digits good like CrowdStrike, but it's still fantastic. 
The company's on the path to profitability. Balance sheet is fine. However, Slack's free cash flow is less than ideal. They've been burning more and more cash of late. The company increases its investments. Okay, I get that. I can live with it. They want to increase their investments to grow faster. The best thing you can say about Slack is that it passes the verb test. Google, Venmo, Uber, they're all services that became verbs. They're so ubiquitous that we don't even think about it. Don't believe me? Google it. Or better yet, Slack us your concerns. That may sound like I'm being glib, but you know what? It's genuinely a really big deal. Look at it this way. We're talking about a cloud-based enterprise software company, something investors can't get enough of, right? You agree with me so far? With the turbocharged growth rate, they want that very much. It would seem like the, the, the Revolve was up seven today. I mean, it just keeps happening and happening and happening, which is why I'm trying to get you in some of these. Uh, the recent spate of red-hot IPOs may have desensitized us to hyper-growth companies. The fact is, the Slack's a great company with these financials. Plus, the collaboration software space in particular has been really strong. Witness one of my faves, Atlassian. It's up 49%. That symbol's team by the way. I think Slack is superior to Atlassian in nearly every way that matters except profitability. Will investors care that Slack is still a long way from generating positive earnings? It doesn't seem to matter to anyone who's buying up that CrowdStrike, does it? No. Now, I think there will be a ton of excitement for this stock, but that doesn't mean things are perfect. I do have some concerns. We don't know how effective Slack will be at converting its existing free users to paying ones. I'm optimistic, but you know what? I was optimistic about Dropbox with the same model, and Dropbox, frankly, has been dead money for the better part of a year. I thought the freemium was going to work better. Where Slack has an unusual capital structure, which means its public shareholders won't have any real voting power. This has become increasingly common with tech, though. The unicorns do it. I hate it. Why? Because if something goes wrong, you and your fellow shareholders have no real recourse other than to dump the stock. There's no democracy here. You can't throw the VC bums out. Worst of all, nine days ago when Slack announced its guidance for the second quarter of the full 2020 fiscal year, it had some hair on it. In the quarter, revenue growth has slowed from the high 60s to the low 50s. For the full year, Slack is forecasting more like 47 to 50% revenue growth. That said, management told us this guidance only includes high visibility revenue. So maybe they're just being conservative here and they're maybe doing a little sandbagging. With that in mind, how much would Slack be worth when the stock starts listening to listen more? It's under the symbol work, easy enough, right, W-R-K. What should you be willing to pay for it? Okay, the highest price paid for Slack in the private market was $31.50 a share. Tonight we found out that Slack's reference price is going to be around $26. bucks. going to be 26 bucks. Given that we have the company's own full-year forecast and a couple of analysts who've already rolled out coverage, we can actually get a decent sense of the valuation here. At $31.50, Slack will be trading at 28 times this year's sales, 19 times next year's sales. Very expensive. Nothing else in Slack's pure group comes close. Having said that, it's much cheaper than recent IPOs within the uh, rapid growth rates like CrowdStreet, like Shrike, like Beyond Meat, like Zoom Video. This is much cheaper. At the reference price of 26, it trades at 23 times this year's sales, 15 times next year's sales. Again, cheaper. Where might the stock go? D.A. Davidson has a $31 price target on it, roughly in line with what people have been paying in the private equity market. Uh, private market, Atlantic Equities, just initiated coverage, $37 price target. Me, as for me, here's the bottom line. I'd be willing to give Slack my blessing to get this. I'm willing to let you pay $40. $40. That's well above. Now, if you can get it below that, that's even better. If not, you keep your bat on your shoulder. Slack is a great story. $40. But we still got to be disciplined if you want to start a position this way. This market is so hot. I don't want you to get burned. Man, money's back at the break. It is time. It's everything late because we're going to wrap up. 
And then the light round's over. Are you ready, Skiing? Dad, time for the light round. Come on, we're showing Steven in Florida. Steven. Booyah, Jim. Booyah. Hey, thank you and your team for everything you do, uh, y'all do for us home gamers. Oh, you're quite fun. Thank you very much. All right, so uh, symbol SIG, Signet Jewelers. Okay, uh, we said they were in the penalty box after they missed the previous quarter. They just missed the last quarter, and Gina Drozos is trying so hard to turn it around. It does look increasingly like that they made all their money with that old you know, kind of like uh, loan shark model that she got rid of because she's an honest, good person, uh, and it, it's not working. Uh, it's still in the penalty box. It's in the penalty box. I don't penalty, penalty box. How about Steve in New York? Steve. Penalty box. Booyah, Jim. How's it going? Ah, couldn't be better. Thank you for asking. How about you? Not bad, man. Hey, I just want to say thanks for everything you do, and thanks to your staff, too. You guys help us out. The staff is great. Yeah, somebody like Stace has got my back at all times. What's up? You guys help us out a ton with the money, but, uh... This is calling about AMT, American Tower. I am like AMT. No, I met a person this weekend who's a salesperson for AMT. And it was like, oh, yeah, I, I was in awe. They have too much business. How many companies can say that other than say like Okta? Let's go to Mike in Illinois, please. Mike. Hi. Booyah from Chicago, home of the soon-to-be-famous Cubs and White Sox. All right. Thank you for Jordan My Howard. Private equity holding KKR. Right, they're about to change their status. Now, my friend Stephanie Link is telling me, listen, the change of status is still not in the stock. There's going to be a lot more buying. I am going to go with that. I say bye, bye, bye. Hey, you know what? I'm not done because I want to go to Nick in Nebraska, the home of Union Pacific. Nick. Thanks for taking my call, Jim. I've been reading where companies in the cloud or data demand are needing high-capacity disk drives. So yeah. my stock is Seagate Technologies, FTX. Well, look, I've known Seagate and used to trade it uh, forever. I once had a, at a almost 5% position in Western Digital as a competitor. I'm not going to disagree with you, and I think that the yield is safe. It's just it's it's there's some better fish to fry, including Micron. Let's go to Anthony in South Carolina. Anthony! Thanks for having me, Mr. Kramer. No problem. Excellent. Uh, lending tree. Have we been behind Doug Lepto all the way? I mean, I remember when the stock was under $100 and there was short rates and we said bye, bye, bye. bye, bye and you know bye, what? Bye, We're bye, still bye. saying bye, bye, bye. Lending tree, symbol T-R-E. And that, ladies and gentlemen, good of the Lightning Round. The Lightning Round is sponsored by TD Ameritrade. Lately, even as people fret about the state of the economy, we've seen a terrific bull market in the stocks of companies that help small and medium-sized businesses to sell their goods and services online. Just look at Wix, W-I-X.com. That's the cloud-based web design company that helps individuals and small businesses build, improve, and maintain their own websites. This stock has been an outstanding long-term performance. This thing is up 725% over the past five years. S&P 500 is up less than 50%. Uh, it's incredible. And this year, by the way, it's had yet another phenomenal leg higher. It's up more than 60% just for 2019 alone. In fact, it's up 64% since we spoke to the CEO in December. So let's check in with Avishai Abrahami. He is the co-founder and CEO of Wix.com. You get a better sense of his company's prospects and where it's headed. Avishai, how you been? Hey, very good, very good. Thank you. Well, it's been an exciting uh, year last year, and a uh, really good start for this year. Well, I've got to tell you, you're up to um, what to 150 million. I mean, how are you able to get so many customers? Uh, that is so many more even than when I saw you last. You're adding them by the day. 
It is, you know, uh, Q1 was our uh, record-breaking uh, ever for new users. We added 6.6 .6 million uh, free users to Wix and uh, uh, 180,000 uh, new subscribers. So it was a very good quarter for us. And now you're finally, I know that one of the things that Mark Benioff has taught us, we followed him for many years, it's so hard. So few companies ever get to a billion dollars. You got to a billion in collections, congratulations, but you're not stopping. You actually, in your conference call, said that you think you can get to 10 billion. How are you going to have that many customers to get to, those price, to that, that unbelievable sales number? So I think that this is a the really cool thing about what we do, right? There are a lot of small businesses, medium-sized businesses, tiny businesses in the world. And uh, so our market potentially is enormous. And I think that uh, every year we are becoming more and more of a leader in our market. So I do believe so that uh, there is a pretty good chance that we'll get to the 10 billion and this is where we're aiming at, right, obviously. All right, I, I want to talk to you a, a little bit about what coexistence means. For instance, Adobe reported a great number today, and they're talking about e-commerce. We've gotten friendly with a company called Shopify. They do e-commerce. If you're going to be on Etsy, you need to be a site. And, of course, if you're on one of the restaurants we do, we use Wix, because, frankly, we think you're the only game in town, and you're not that expensive. Uh, where do you coexist in the universe of people who want to design their sites, people who want the data to, uh, collection, uh, and can you be, all be partners in the end? Well, I do believe that uh, there is, a, of course, a lot, of uh, a lot of companies in this market. And uh, I think that if you look at e-commerce, it's a bit more crowded. So you have Adobe, you have uh, WordPress, you have Shopify, you have us. And uh, if you look at the other things, as you said, from restaurants to hotels to scheduling to booking, I think we are pretty much by ourselves now in those markets. And uh, the one thing I think is playing to, for everybody, us, competitors, anybody else in this market, is that as time passes, right, the need of having your own website, your own presence online is just growing. And I think that now that you are moving more than just building a presence, but also allowing you to manage your business, advertise your business, grow your business with Wix, I think that you can see that this creates and much more traction from the customers that we have and, and new customers. I want to try to explain to people, you uh, link people, and you go to the website, it's beautiful, with great artists, with, uh, with people who are, have a beautiful commercial eye. How do you find those people, and how do you know who to link them with? Because the service itself is remarkably inexpensive versus if you tried to contract with that person directly. Yeah, so first of all, you know, it's rich, right? You can do everything yourself. That's one of the things we are really proud of. But then we also have a place where we recommend agencies that we know that are really good and know the platform and, and actually provide a lot of support to their customers. So we have a place called a place on Wix called arena.wix.com that allows you to do that. How about this? Uh, you're talking a little bit about this idea of a... Uh Corvid, the, uh, the, the company that will give a division, you haven't rolled it out entirely, but it gives you um, the data collection that I would have normally expected to get, say, from an Adobe. What's your price for that, and, uh, and when do, can we expect that everybody have it? Because I think it would be very valuable for most of us. So we didn't yet announce pricing for that. And uh, as you said, we didn't fully uh, release it yet. It's still in, a, I would say, late stage of beta. And it's really fantastic. It will give you your own databases, your own ways to interact with the data, the ability to actually write scripts on the website and develop applications, develop the special needs that you need for your own business. So it's really an amazing product. I think that uh, 
and I'm very proud of it, and I don't think even Adobe have anything similar to that at this stage. So uh, it's it's up and coming. It's going to be probably released next uh, in the next uh, six months, fully released, and you oh. can already use it. It's already working on Wix. You can already use it in uh, in beta mode. All right. Well, congratulations on your tremendous success and your incredible growth. You have a lot of doubters in these analysts who've been dead wrong, and I await your data product and is going to try to look at it in data right now. Thank you so much to Avishai Abrahami. He is the co-founder and CEO of Wix. Great to see you, sir. May have money. We'll be back after the break. Here we go again. Oracle with terrific number tonight. Yes, on-prem, off-prem, cloud-based, it doesn't matter, right? Tech is so good here. Like I said, there's always a bull market somewhere. I promise I'll find it just for you, right here on Mad Money. I'm Jim Kramer, and I will see you tomorrow! CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Edinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.